1: Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. As usual, you've got Tracy Newman and my good friend Dan Bentley. Great to have you here with us today. So Dan, what is it we're going to be talking about today?
0: Thanks, Trace. Great to be here as per always. Big shout out to you as well. Not feeling well at the moment. Not COVID, but does have a bit of a yucky cold, but you could not tell. So um, well done for uh, front and up to the podcast i'm glad i didn't have to do this one solo because you know it's definitely not as fun without you so good work um but hey to answer your question uh what are we going to talk about today prototyping we're going to talk a little bit about prototyping, what it is in case you are not familiar with it, or even if you'd like to learn a little bit more around how we do it, but also some different ways and some different times when you can use prototyping that you may not have thought of before. So that's what it's going to be about. But hey, before we do get into it, I think what I would like to, to talk about is we've had a few reviews come through on our podcast and we thought we'd like to read them out on air to say thank you to the people for leaving them. And we'd also love it as well if you are a regular listener which we know we do have many of um if you'd feel comfortable leaving us a review we'd be more than happy to read it out on air like we have with these so maybe I should just read them out first one is from soul archaeology uh thank you Dan and Tracy and some like praying hands or is it a high five I don't know I always get confused by that well you know the emoji I'm talking about grateful for your insight and clarity for for impact businesses and organizations thank you soul archaeology the other one is from think films their title was Loving This Podcast. Five stars. Thank you very much. Think Films. Just stumbled across your podcast and have listened to my first episode, but it's certainly not going to be my last. I love your concept and looking forward to hearing all your eps. Thanks.
1: That's so nice, isn't it? Thank you so much for leaving a review. We get a real kick out of reading them and hearing from people how they feel when they're listening to the podcast. So yeah, thank you so much for that. Great way to start uh, the session today. And and you're right, Dan, we we do want to talk all about prototyping. And I feel like I say this every time we do a podcast, but I am really excited for this conversation today because I love prototyping. I'm what's known as a kinesthetic learner. So I love that sort of immersion in something. That's how I learn. So prototyping works really well for me means that I get to, you know, get my hands in. But, yeah, let's start off with, you know, exactly what is prototyping. So really prototyping is how you make a concept or an idea tangible. And one of my favourite sayings around that is if a picture is worth a thousand words, a prototype is worth a thousand pictures. So I thought that was a, you know, a really cool little way to frame up exactly what prototyping is.
0: What that can look like in real life is you might have a concept, an idea, something that you've been thinking, oh, geez, I'd really like to know whether this is going to be a good idea and if it's going to work. And instead of just building the entire thing, you build like a mock-up or a cheaper, faster, easier to make version. Normally with a prototype, the next step with that is to test that prototype before you actually go out and build. It wasn't founded in design, it's been used in you know all over the world in many different types of ways. Um, it's, it's a common thing. But in terms of how we, what we want to talk about is how does prototyping work in this space? And what are some of those different types? And what's good about it? And how does it kind of work? And maybe we'll share some examples of how we've done it.
1: One of the things that we've found is most important is the idea of making what's known as a low fidelity prototype. So you have low fidelity prototypes, which are something that's really quite unfinished and it's quite, well, not so, not so much unfinished, but unpolished, I think is probably a better better way to term it versus a higher fidelity prototype, which is something that's a little closer to the final product. And what we find works really well is, is always starting off with those really low fidelity prototypes because what we find is if we can sort of almost show somebody, hey, I've just quickly sketched this out on the back of an envelope, what do you think? They're quite likely to give you really valuable feedback because they don't feel like it's already finished. And they feel like it's at the appropriate stage of development whereby people can give you feedback that's going to be easy for you to incorporate before you continue down that path. Whereas I know I've made the mistake before of creating a prototype that was really good and was very representative of the final product but then when I was showing it to people they were like oh that looks really good oh I really like the way that you've done that and it was really not helpful information because what I was really after is if you didn't go in this direction and you went in this slightly different direction it would be much more effective and easy for me to use and that's the kind of feedback that you really want to get from people at the prototyping stage.
0: When it looks like you've put your heart and soul into something, there's a lot of people that feel very uncomfortable giving you constructive criticism on that. Whereas if you're like, hey, this is just kind of like a drawing that I have on this thing and it's a, and you can see that it's a working project and it's already covered in sticky notes from other people who have said, don't like this. What if you did this? I do like this bit, et cetera. They're more likely to be like, okay, I, I see what's going on here. This was okay for those people. I can also get involved and, and give you that feedback. So let's maybe talk about what are some different examples of some low fidelity prototypes, just in case people aren't quite following along and understanding, well, how does that work in this space?
1: Yeah. So I think a great low fidelity prototype to begin with is just sort of very, very basic stick drawings. And so quite often we can sort of draw out a process using post-it notes and then sort of put them in the order of how it's going to go, but just sort of quite easy to follow sort of pictures with a, a, a sort of pathway. And then people can sort of say, oh, look, you know, it makes more sense to have this step before that step. And you can actually just move the post-it notes around um, and, and sort of step it out in that way.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Role plays as well are another really great way. You know, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are people that are service providers. And so, especially when you're trying to bring a service to life, you can do it in the way that Tracy said, but you can also uh, role play and record that Um, or role play that in in front of a group of people that you want to test that with and that can help people understand how how a new new service idea or a new way of delivering a service could actually look like in real life.
1: Yeah I love that and I think um, you know that the idea of prototyping also is to to often um, add an element of fun so things like using Play-Doh and Lego figurines or any type of figurines and things like that. And similar to sort of your role play, but actually moving these little characters around can, can also be a really fun way to prototype. But it also encourages feedback because people are like, well, obviously you're not really going to have dinosaurs. So, you know, again, it, it adds that element of, oh, well, I can, I can sort of really just listen to the flow and not be concerned about giving, giving constructive feedback.
0: Yeah. Another one is like, um, if you're looking at building out like a website or some sort of a flow like that through technology, you can do wireframes, which are essentially just drawings of the screens that you might be looking to implement. And again, you can sort of just say to the person, okay, I'm going to take you through it. Like we've done this a lot of times where one of the ones that we were working on a while ago was we we're working on a project where they were looking at designing a, a new way of like displaying data from the front line of the aged care organization and so that the senior leaders could pull that data up into a report and so one of the ways that they were wanting to test that was they had uh, for the senior leader an ipad sitting in front of her but then there was two people holding like a bunch of sheets of paper and they sort of said all right here's your first screen what would you like to do and they're looking at it they're like okay i'm scrolling so then they put the next piece down behind that which is that next piece that they would have scrolled down to and she's like okay Press that button, and so then they put the page in front of her screen that had where that button would take you, and so they're really able to like in a really cheap way bring that idea to life. And the other thing i would add to what we said before around why low fidelity prototyping is really important is is it's important to make it really easy and quick to get those sorts of things out early because your ideas, especially the first few times you're getting in front of people, they're probably not right. So, you need a lot more feedback at that point. You need it to be quicker. You need to probably go out a few times to do this. So, you don't really want to be doing something super expensive, taking a long time, looking really polished at that point. You really want to just try and get that quick feedback because you're probably not exactly on the right track yet. So, that's another reason why some of those techniques are good to do early on.
1: Absolutely. And I've seen the little um, drop-down boxes created. On pieces of paper using post-it notes folded into little fans, and yep, someone would press that button and then and then they pull the little post-it note down. So you know you can do it and, it and it's quite effective because it does sort of show people what they would expect to see, but you're right, it also makes changing it up really easy and and quick. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment.
0: Another one that I have done was I was working uh, with an organisation and they wanted to build a new website experience and we basically mocked something up in Excel just made it look a lot like the website that we were going to put out there had buttons it had all these different bits and pieces and we wanted to test it with uh, a certain group of people and we're thinking "How, how could we find these people so we took it down to Southern Cross train station in Melbourne and went and Spoke to some people who are waiting for country trains because if anyone has ever lived in the country or goes to visit anyone catching a train, the wait times between them aren't like a metro train. It's not nine minutes on a Monday. It can sometimes be an hour. So we had this captive audience. We went down and said, hey, look, could we entertain you for about five minutes and just get you to test this new thing that we're doing? And these people were like, absolutely. I've gone through all of my Instagram and Facebook feeds now and I'm that to move on to the, the whole of, of Twitter. So the, it was a really awesome way to be able to get what we were doing into the hands of people in a way that really didn't cost us much at all. So,
1: Yeah, I've also seen that done in coffee shops as well. Like, hey, if I buy you a coffee, will you have a look at this? And not quite as uh, economical as in the train station, but certainly a great way to get feedback from people, you know, and, and that sort of transaction, you know, coffee is not that expensive. Whereas if you were sort of saying to people, Hey, can I pay you $5 to give me some feedback? They'd be like, no, I don't think so. My
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> time's worth more than $5, but somehow coffee, that's a whole different exchange rate.
0: So what about high fidelity prototypes? Let's talk a bit about those. What are they? And what are some examples?
1: High fidelity prototypes are similar to what you were talking about, Dan, with the, you know, if if it's technology, but maybe what it actually looks like is you would, you know, spend a bit more time and actually rather than, you know, using a different program, you would actually have something that really looks exactly like what the screen's going to look like. So it's a little bit more polished and it's a little bit more developed. So it's the same kind of technique, but it's that sort of step up in terms of how it actually looks. But then you've got other ways of prototyping, which is totally different. So, you know, I guess a, an example of a low fidelity prototype of a service might be a role play and then a higher fidelity prototype might actually be, you know, where you sort of set up a room that looks exactly like what somebody would having that interaction in um, and, and then would actually take them through that and again, it's sort of much more polished and, and it would actually be a much closer representation of the final sort of service that you're looking to offer. I think another higher fidelity is things like pilots, you know, so you might do a pilot because you've already done that sort of original testing and you know what's important to people. And then you might actually, before you, you know, sort of release it broadly, you might run a pilot for a, a set period of time.
0: Yeah. And so essentially, just to add on what Tracy said, it's really about trying to get as close as you possibly can to the real experience without creating the real experience. That's essentially what you're trying to kind of do with a high fidelity prototype compared to a low fidelity. The low fidelity just needs to be a good enough demonstration of you know, what it could look like, but it doesn't really look or feel like the exact experience, if that makes sense. I'll go back to that example I used before because this might help people understand the difference. So with that train station version that I gave before. That was the same project. If, to give you an understanding of the prototyping steps we took, our first lowest fidelity prototype was a series of drawings. Then we got feedback on that. We produced another series of drawings based off that feedback got more feedback off those, brought people back in and tested them. We then created that version on Excel that we then took to the train station, just sort of got some more feedback around like the usability and like how that would kind of work because now people were actually kind of driving it rather than just looking at it. And then eventually we mocked it up in another program so that it was like literally a website, but it was an internal, we hadn't launched it. And that was our high fidelity prototype. It was basically, it looked... It had all the right buttons. It was like pretty much what we would have uploaded to that website if it was live, but it just wasn't live. And again, it was you know obviously quicker, easier. Um, we could also change it a lot easier than if it was live, all those sorts of bits and pieces. So that sort of gives you the idea of the, the whole journey there. And once we got the feedback on that, obviously there was less feedback on that final one because we'd gone through all of those sort of simple and quick and easy versions first so that that last version was just a few tweaks and then we we're able to then put it into operation and and upload it to the website properly
1: yeah i think the main thing to really think about when you're creating prototypes is what's involved to allow somebody to experience something so sometimes it's very easy when we're teaching people how to prototype they go first into well let me explain this to you And that's not quite a prototype. That's an important step and that helps you to create your prototype, but your actual prototype is something that you can give to somebody to allow them to experience it as opposed to uh, explaining what it's going to be to somebody.
0: Yeah, we're sort of crossing over a little bit into testing, at the same time, and it's hard not to when you're talking about prototyping because the testing part is why you prototype, so it makes sense. But you do really want to think about like, How do you make this feel as real as possible in terms of the scenario? So like Tracy just said, you don't want to have to give somebody a 20-minute explanation around what they should do and why this is cool and how you came up with the idea because they're not going to get that in the real world. It's literally like if it's a website and they get an email and it says, would you like to click here? Like that's where you start the prototype. You get this email. The person goes, oh, well, I wouldn't even click the button. There's your feedback. Like, good. Okay. Would you click that? You know, if not, what, oh, like, tell me, like, don't even tell them the instructions. Just go, you just got this email. What happens? The person might just be like, I'd just read that. And okay. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> you go, oh Well, there's a button on there. Oh, I didn't even see the button. That's great feedback.
1: <laughs> great feedback. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I wouldn't click that. Why not? Here's a heap of reasons. This doesn't look real. You know, we got that feedback a lot with that example I used before. People were saying, this website's not secure. I don't know. I wouldn't use this website. No, no, sorry. They said, I wouldn't use this website. We're like, why not? It's not secure. Like, what do you mean? They're like, it doesn't have that HTTPS and then the little padlock. And we're like oh yeah, it's just a drawing. And then we're like, wait, no, (laughs) no, that's the feedback. We got to really make sure that security, even if it's that, but there was even more that we ended up doing. We ended up having like, and this was before, this was like a mandated sort of thing, but we had the two-factor authentication. We added a whole heap of things because it was a very private and emotional type transaction type that we were actually digitizing. Like that little piece of feedback was broader than just the padlock and the HTTPS. It was that, Uh, That was a really important factor that we needed to make sure we nailed on our further prototypes and obviously our final product as well.
1: Yeah, that's so important to think about not just the usability, but, you know, what's the emotion that people are experiencing and what are they really looking for? And that's the type of information you get from that prototyping and testing protocol. One of the questions that we often get asked, and I I wanted to sort of talk about this a bit more, and that is about prototyping when you're co-designing. Sometimes we have people say, well, you know, do you even need to do that? You know, if you are actually creating alongside people who will be the type of people who would be using this product or service, why do you need to create prototypes and and why would you then, you know, look to test outside of that group?
0: Yeah. Yeah, this is a something that is debated a little bit in the co-design space whether you do need to or not. Our view is that you should, and there's two reasons why. Number one is Prototyping brings that idea to life. And when you've got a big group of people who are reading something off a post it note together, it's very vague still. And so Tracy and I are working together on something. I can interpret one sentence and I can carry that in my head into something completely different to what Tracy is agreeing with that it's a good idea in her head. And it's not until we get into that conceptualizing it till the time that we have to bring it to life that we might actually go, oh, hang on. That's not actually what I was talking about, or that's not what I was thinking. I was thinking this. And it makes people sort of have those conversations to get into that sort of the nitty gritty because a broad idea can sound really good. It's when you start, you know, getting into the execution and the, oh, what would that really look like is when you start getting that, the really, really rich insights from people. So that's why it's important. While you've got those people in the room and you're paying them for their time and all of that, it's a really good idea to get that extra information from them whilst you've got them because. Yeah, sometimes you might think you understand what it is that they need, but it's not until you really get into the details that you're going to find out what that truly is. And it might still surprise you to what you've assumed that it is. So that's why. The second reason is that when you're part of a co-design project or any, any sort of innovation project, even if you are showing this to a bunch of people, there's all this context around it. And to get them along, you probably have to explain why they're coming along. So people are kind of pretty well educated. Testing it with people who have not been involved in any of that process is also very important because the people who are going to use this prototype when it's not a prototype anymore or this service or this product or program or whatever it is you're designing, like they're not going to have any of that context. They're going to, like I said before, they're just going to get an email or something or they're going to find out that this service is now being provided and they can opt in or not. They're not getting all this education around. Here's the top five problems we're trying to solve and this is why we did this and why we did that. It's They're too educated, the people that have been involved in that process so far. You've got to sort of then go, all right, well, we've built this with all of that understanding, which is obviously very important, but now let's put it in front of some people that don't understand the problem and they only understand it from their perspective. Does it work for them? So that's the second reason why it's really important to prototype.
1: And it's also about optimism bias. So, yes, they're really educated on it, but also they've helped to create the idea, they've helped to go on that journey. So optimism bias comes to play as well whereby you think that your ideas are going to be successful because that's what you're creating them for. So you don't get to this stage of the process and go, oh, actually, you know, these are our best ideas, but I still don't think they're any good. You, you, you become emotionally invested in them and optimism bias kicks in and and you can look at and easily see all of the reasons why those ideas that have sort of elevated to the top of the, the list are, are really good ideas. And it's having that fresh perspective that can add those other points of view and, and make those ideas even better. Yeah, that's true. I know that we've sort of talked a lot about prototyping and um, when to prototype in, in the context of, you know, projects and co-design or, or design projects, but I think prototyping can actually be really helpful and used even more broadly than than just in that sort of project space. So there's something about making things tangible that really helps people to, you know, become aligned and to crystallise their thinking. And it's easier for people to make really good quality decisions when you've made a series of intangible pieces of data quite tangible for them. Um, So, you know, I, I love prototyping and I would encourage people to prototype to really, you know, encourage that creativity and encourage good decision making, not just In a project sense, but more broadly, think about ways that you can incorporate it into kind of your everyday. I heard a really great story recently about a group who were, um, and, and, you know, they, they were engineers and they were designers and they were putting together a light aeroplane. Um, and what they were looking at is they had a, a very constrained amount of space and they were looking at, well, what do we want to make sure is included and isn't included? And what the project team would do is whenever they were having a meeting, they would tape around the floor and they would all be sitting inside that area which was the same as the size of the area that they had to work with and so it was very clear to them when they were making decisions about what would or wouldn't be included just how much space they were really talking about because sometimes you know some people are definitely better at it than others but you know making something like a concept of time or space or something like that it's not as easy to actually picture when you but when you actually create that environment, then it's very easy to, to see exactly what it is that you're talking about.
0: Mm, yeah, it's a good example.
1: Yeah, and I think we use it all the time. Like when you're building a house, you know, you go and you you go to the tile shop and you have a look at all the different samples that are available, and then you take them home and look at them inside your environment, and and essentially that's that's another version of of prototyping. So how can you include that into you know the ways that you work and think about how you can include that in in your everyday. Mm, I like it. So what we talked about was really, you know, some of the different ways to prototype, some of the different types of prototypes, and then a little bit more about, you know, how important it is and, and ways that, that you can use it and bring it into your everyday. And essentially, it's all about making your prototyping accessible, bringing it into your everyday and looking for ways to get that feedback from people so that you can incorporate it nice and early uh, in your creation process.
0: Awesome. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And like we said at the start, we'd love to see a few more reviews coming through and hear from some of the lovely people that listen to the podcast. So please do feel free to leave a message and we'd love to read them out on some of our next episodes. So thanks for joining us for another one and we'll see you on the next one.
1: Great. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.